in your Bible, please. Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. Philippians. And as you're turning there, I will remind you, this is one of seven of Paul's prison epistles. It's the second of the seven letters that he wrote in Roman imprisonment. The first imprisonment, 60 A.D. through 62 A.D. He wrote to the church at Ephesus, Philippi, Colossae, and a personal letter to Philemon. That imprisonment was Paul being in a hired home, but chained to a praetorian, a Roman guard. Released for a short time and then in his second Roman imprisonment, 66 through 67 AD, he wrote three personal letters. First one to Timothy, the second one to Titus, and then again the last letter that the Apostle Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit before being martyred, Second Timothy. So this letter comes to a church that was founded 50 AD, Second Missionary Journey. It's a church that is very special in a few ways. One, it's the very first church established on the European continent. It's a church that had a very special place in the heart of the Apostle Paul. And that was because of their partnership with him in the gospel. Remember at verse 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request of you all with joy for this purpose. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of this grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you with all the affection of Jesus Christ. A church special in the heart of Paul. Special because they were partners with him from the very beginning. And he believed would continue to partnership with him in the propagation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. At verse 9, we came to the prayer that Paul offers up. They had a special place in his heart, and this is a very specific prayer that he offers up for them. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge 
and all discernment that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are, be, are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This prayer is a prayer very specific. It's a prayer for their performance. He was praying that they would have a more intimate insight into their performing before the Lord to his praise. He wanted them to continue on in being the people of God that have been set apart for his eternal praise. This prayer that we looked at a few weeks back took us to a parenthesis. We have moved to the prison prayers of Paul. And that took us to the very first prayer into Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1. The first of the prison epistles, and we're reading at verse 15 of chapter 1. Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not, to cease, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. This prayer is a prayer, again specific, for intimate insight into the promise that God himself has made for his children. The promise of hope. The promise of an inheritance. And we have looked at this prayer earlier in our studies. We continue this morning to see this focus of Paul's prayer in behalf of the church at Ephesus, the same intensity that he has for the church at Philippi and the church at Colossae is that they might be experiencing and go deeper, that they have this intimate insight into, for the Ephesians, this promise that God has made of their hope. And of their inheritance. Look at verse 3 of chapter 1 of Ephesians. Blessed be the Lord, the God of our Father, the Lord and Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Remember I shared with you, God, the moment that he called us unto himself, withheld nothing. We have all that God has for us the very moment we believed. 
we are yet to experience the fullness of that which he has given to us, yet in the future, and even presently. But it's ours. It is that which we have because we belong to him. We have this relationship with him by virtue of being in Christ Jesus, he has given to us all of his blessings now and forever. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and without blame before him. In love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. He's called us. We are his children. And this is in accordance with the plan that he had put in place before the foundation of the world. We have been called. We have been chosen as his children. Here Paul places the emphasis on their appreciating, having greater intimate insight into what it means to be a child of God, the hope that we have, the hope of what is still yet to be experienced. But we are, by adoption, presently his sons. Yet, there is a future aspect. That's our hope. There is an inheritance. Look at Galatians chapter 4. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians, stewards, until the time appointed by the father. In the Roman culture, and Paul often used the culture of the day to punctuate a point that he wants to make. In the Roman culture, a father who had a son relished that he now has an heir apparent. He has a son that as far as his birthright, he has everything that belongs to him because he is the son of the father. But he's not able to handle all that is his by birthright, until he arrives at a point where the father, in the Roman culture, would determine, all right, now enjoy, use all that I have given to you because you're my son, because of your birthright. But until then, until the father determines that is proper, it's the right time, he's just like a slave. 
It's all there, but he's not benefiting. Paul uses that now to give a spiritual significance to our relationship to the Father. Even so, when we were children, we're in bondage under the elements of the world. One of the amazing truths is that God created man in his own image and in his own likeness. That was his plan. Bring man into the fullness of the blessings that God had for him as the highest, the pinnacle of his creation. Jesus even spoke in his earthly ministry of all men being sons of God. But the reality is, that is true in that God created man in his own image and in his own likeness, but sin entered in. And Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. We are under the dominance of a wicked world, under the dominance of the devil. And the only way that can change is by God bringing a new birth. But here he's telling us that though created in the image and likeness of God, but flawed because of sin, in the fullness of time, in God's plan, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that they might receive the adoption as sons, under the elements, controlled by this world, sin, Satan. But in the fullness of time, God's plan was to intervene. And he did that through the seed of the woman. Christ came as the sin bearer, born under the law to redeem those under the law. We sang earlier today, redeemed. And I mentioned to you that that word in the English language that we find throughout our English Bible and within our hymn book often has two aspects to it. The Greek word purchase, to buy, akarazo, is in our English translation translated redeemed, a purchase, that which is now purchased out of the condition it is in, purchased out of sin, akarazo. Also, we are not only bought out of our condition of being in sin, we're placed as sons that we might receive the adoption of sons. There's a birthright. 
there is also a bestowed right. The moment we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're born into the family of God. We have a birthright. We have the hope of eternal life. We have an inheritance awaiting us. But also, God has placed us in that relationship with him as full-fledged sons. You have it all now. And he wants us not only to benefit, but to use the blessings that we have to his eternal praise. And we're responsible for that. See, there's no such thing as a baby Christian. There is, practically speaking, but not positionally. God sees us as mature, as full-fledged sons. He's given us everything right now. That is our bestowed right. But there's even more to come because there is a bequeathed right, an inheritance. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of the son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you're no longer a slave. You're a child of God. You're a son of God. Birthright. Bestowed right. Bequeathed right. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir. An heir of God through Christ. And this is what Paul is praying for. That the church at Ephesus, the believers in Ephesus, that we might enter into a more intimate insightful understanding and appreciation and appropriation of our birthright, of our bestowed right, our bequeathed right, our inheritance, our hope, and live in such a way as the evidence that we are heirs, sons. Come on back to Ephesians chapter 1. We are, in fact, to be to the praise, verse 6, of the glory of his grace by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. We're not better. We are beloved. We are his child. We are his sons. We have a birthright. We have a bestowed right. And we have a bequeathed right yet to be fully experienced. In him, we have redemption through his blood. Ah, different Greek word. Same English word. Akarazo, to buy. And in the Greek, often a little prefix is attached to that word. Ek, akarazo, to purchase. The ek, out. We have been purchased, bought out of sin, the bondagement of sin. We have been set free. Lutroo. We are no longer under his power. We are no longer under the penalty of sin. We have been redeemed. We have redemption. Latrosa. But here it's. Apolatrosin, 
That's that little prefix. From. We have been set free from. We've been purchased out of the power and penalty of sin, and we have been set free from it. No longer has sin any relationship to me. I'm dead to sin, alive unto God. Sin's very much alive, but as far as the relationship it has to me, it's gone. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgi- excuse me, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself that in the dispensation... The revelation that God has given to us, he has dispersed progressively. He has dispensed progressively. He didn't reveal all that he is and all he has for us at one time. He has revealed that in his word down through the ages of time. And man is responsible to respond to the amount of revelation that God gives at any given point in time. This is the dispensing. This is the dispensation of the fullness of time. That he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. There is a aspect of what God has redeemed this being purchased this being set free that is yet to be fully realized in the dispensation of the fullness of time that which is in heaven and that which is in earth will experience that fully in him come over to 1 Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians, chapter 4. I'm reading from verse 13. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and we certainly do, Even so, God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you all, by the word of the Lord, that we, who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we, who are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore comfort one another with these words. I don't want you to be as those who have no hope, for you have hope. And the hope is this. That what is already 
in heaven with the Lord. He, with you, who are alive here on the earth, will come together and receive a new body. We're going to be changed in an instant, in the twinkling of the eye. We, which makes it very clear that that which is the hope of the believer is an imminent hope. Paul believed, and all those who really understand the scripture believe that that can happen at any moment. Paul expected it in his lifetime. The Lord's coming back. He's bringing those who are already in his presence by their spirits, absent from the body, present with the Lord. But we, with them, have yet to experience a hope, an inheritance of a new body, a glorified body, like unto his body. And Paul believed it could happen at any moment. And when it happens, we're together. That's our hope. That is that which is our birthright. That is our bestowed right. That is our bequeathed right. Come on back to Ephesians. In him, in Christ, verse 11, also we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. We are rich. We have a birthright. We have a bestowed right. We have a bequeathed right that allows me to bask in the glory of being his beloved, experiencing right now all that he has for us. But there's more to come. The child of God should never be living in the atmosphere of this world oppressed, anxious. Why? We know the plan, and we have experienced that plan personally. And that plan is yet to be brought to fruition, but we know it will. I have an inheritance. He has bequeathed riches yet to be fully experienced. In him, you also trusted, verse 13, after you heard the word of truth, the good news of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. What God has promised, he performs. And you can take it 
to the bank. And that is the experience of the child of God by faith and the indwelling person of Christ by his spirit. It's a guarantee. There's no fear of the future. There's only that which awaits us to the praise of his glory, an inheritance, riches, untold, not earned. We're not talking about rewards. We're talking about inheritance, that which is bequeathed to us. In whom also having believed, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption there's that apolatrosin, having been released from sin's penalty and power of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Acts chapter 20, we've been there. Paul's coming near the end of his third missionary journey, heading towards Jerusalem. Stops off at Miletus calls the elders from Ephesus. Remember now we're looking at this prayer for the church at Ephesus. From Miletus, verse 17, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, you know, from the first day that I came to Asia, in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews. How I kept back nothing that was helpful, but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to the Jews, also to the Greeks, repentance toward God, a turning to him, and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember we said before, repentance is not an act in and of itself. It is not an act that precedes faith. It is part and parcel of the act of faith. We turn to him, thus away from our sin. And see now, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulations await me. But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy, the ministry which I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. What good news God has given. What good news God has allowed us to embrace by faith. And indeed now, I know that you all among whom I am preaching the kingdom of God will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God, the master plan of Messiah. Therefore, take heed to yourself and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit hath made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, from among yourselves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away disciples 
after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. That's the promise right now, present, and give you an inheritance among all those who are set apart unto God, sanctified. That's the future. Chapter 26 of Acts. You remember the account of Paul before Agrippa, beginning at verse 12. We'll just allow our eyes to go down to verse 17. The Lord is telling Saul at that time that he has come to him for a purpose. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. And this is the purpose for which I now have you as my servant. To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among all those sanctified by faith in me. Set apart. In me, have an inheritance, that which is bequeathed. Second Corinthians, chapter 8. We've said on so many occasions, but it, it, it demands to be always in the forefront of our minds and in the depths of our heart the single most significant word in all of the scriptures is grace. Saved by grace. Sustained by grace. Awaiting the fullness of the grace of God. Paul reminds those that are now to give to the needy there in Jerusalem, church from its very beginnings, being persecuted, became a very poor church. And he has reminded them that they, they promised to do that. And he reminds them by way of saying, you know, I'm challenging you by those who have been doing what you know you need to do. To give out of the grace of God. You, you, it's not a mandatory thing. But it is that which is the right response. Because you've experienced grace. Express grace and do it by giving. At verse 80 says, I speak not by commandment. But by testing the sincerity of your love. By the diligence of others. Others have been doing what I am reminding you. You need to do. For you know. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sakes, he became poor. That you through his poverty, 
might become rich. I'm pleading for you to give graciously. I'm reminding you that others are doing that. They're an example. But the greatest example of the grace of God, as far as giving, is our Lord himself. Though he were rich. (laughs) The English language and every other language is that which God has, in his plan, provided for us to grasp spiritually the revelation of himself, who he is, what he's done, what he's doing, and what he's yet to do. But no matter the language, it's still so inadequate. Though he were rich, (laughs) he kind of responds, yeah, (laughs) this is almighty God we're talking about. Rich? It goes beyond our comprehension how rich. Yet, he became poor. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. We thought it not robbery to be equal with God, to hold on to that, but divested himself of the outward display of the glory that is his magnificence of his person of all that he is and has he set that aside and became obedient the sovereign God became a slave deity died beyond our comprehension that we were rich Yet he became poor. That we, through his poverty, did he die. Sovereignty as a slave, suffering in our behalf. That we, through his poverty, might be made rich. I used to, when I had still a voice, Sing a gospel song that said, How rich I am since Jesus came my way, redeemed my soul, and turned my night to day. How very rich, how very rich I am. For our sakes, he became poor. Through his poverty, we be made rich. Run over to Hebrews chapter 9. Reading from verse 11. But Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands that is not of this creation. That's part of the poverty that he took on. A body. A body like our body. With all of its limitations. This is God. Limiting himself. To our experiences in the flesh. 
chapter 10. He says, in order to accomplish your will, Father, you prepared for me a body. Peter says that he bore our sins in his own body on the tree. It's the poverty he took on. For our enrichment, for our inheritance, we have a birthright. We've been born into the family of God. We have a bestowed right. We've been placed as full-fledged sons. We have a bequeathed right, an inheritance yet to be fully experienced, a riches a richness beyond our comprehension. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Latrosus being set free. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean sacrifices, for the purifying of the flesh. That's the Levitical system. That's the ceremonial cleansing through the sacrifices of the Levitical system. But that was all in preparation for if the blood of bulls and goats and ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh outwardly, how much more? The blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, the eternal spirit, this was formulated before the foundation of the world. He is the lamb, Revelation, chapter 13, slain before the foundation of the world. How much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, he's the mediator of a new covenant, new arrangement by means of death. By means of death. For the redemption, apolitrosis, setting free. Far from. For the transgressions under the first covenant that those who are called, we're called children, may receive the promise of the internal, eternal inheritance, our betrothed, bequest. First Peter. Chapter one. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, according to his abundant mercy, hath begotten us again to a living hope. That's our birth. That's our birthright. That's our hope. I'm praying for you there in Ephesus. I'm praying for your hope. That you'll have intimate insight into this hope. I'm praying to, for you to have intimate insight into your inheritance. 
who according to the abundant mercy hath begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. Incorruptible. Undefiled. And does not fade away. Reserved for you in heaven. Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation. Ready to be revealed. Oh, my prayer for you, brothers and sisters at Ephesus, is that you will have intimate insight into his promise, hope, inheritance, that which is all because We are his beloved. Thank you, Lord, for these moments together this morning to allow us again to be focused, to have our spirits lifted in praise and adoration for all that you are and all that you have made of us in Christ Jesus. And all that you have presently provided for us in Christ Jesus. And all that is yet to be experienced to the fullness of the riches of your glory in the inheritance of the saints. We will thank you now and forever. Amen.